Hello, I'm Lotus Hackenberger, and you're listening to the 13th episode of the Postgraduate Environment Network's podcast, PenPod. Today, I'm grateful to be talking with Michelle Maloney, co-founder and director of the Australian Earth Laws Alliance, Future Dreaming Australia, and New Economy Network Australia. Michelle is on the executive committee of the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature and was the chairperson of the Environmental Defenders Office in Queensland. She holds a Bachelor of Arts, a law degree and a PhD and has more than 30 years experience in managing climate change and sustainability and facilitating community development. Michelle's work is focused on creating systems change and working in solidarity with Indigenous people. Today we'll be talking about Michelle's extraordinary professional journey. This episode will then zoom in on the less talked about emotional and mental challenges of working within the environmental space, specifically misaligned personal and workplace values, balancing pragmatism and idealism, accepting one's level of impact, and how to maintain hopefulness. I hope this episode is reassuring for you all. Please follow the Pen Pod Show and check out some of the other informative podcasts available through the Climactic Climate Podcast Network. Hello, Michelle. I'm very excited and honoured to have you on the Pen Podcast today. How are you today? I'm really good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited. So we'll get right into it. Uh, first question. Describe your current position and the pathway that you have taken to get to where you are today. Mm, lovely. Great question. Thank you. So uh, today in 2022, I am the co-founder and national convener of the Australian Earth Laws Alliance. I also wear a number of different hats because I'm connected to a lot of other organisations. So first, I'll talk uh, briefly about all the organisations I'm involved with today and then I can tell you um, the journey that brought me here, which is actually nice to reflect on because at my age, it's getting to be um, a longer story, which is great. So in 2012, myself and a group of environmental lawyers created the Australian Earth Laws Alliance, AILA. And I can talk further about the body of work that we're engaged in. But what's interesting in terms of my role today is that through the work we've done inside AILA, We've actually auspiced or supported the creation of a number of other organisations, which I'm still heavily involved in. So firstly, let me tell you a bit about AILA's work and AILA's mission, because that'll make a lot more sense when I explain the other groups. So AILA was very inspired by the work of a Western deep ecologist called Thomas Berry. Thomas Berry coined the term earth jurisprudence, which is this idea that what we really need at a time of ecological destruction and social injustice is to rethink the very foundations of our societies because Western industrialised nations and the Western industrialised way of thinking and being um, has really led to this you know, hyper-capitalism built on 500 years of colonialism, which is built on these ideas that nature is just property and systems and societies are hierarchical, uh, great unfairness and great extractivism. Um, so when we created AILA, although it says Earth Laws, really our passion has been and continues to be, how do we govern ourselves in society? How do human beings 
organize ourselves to work, live and play together? How do we distribute ideas, share wealth? Who makes decisions? Who makes power? Um, what are the institutions or groups of people setting up these structures? Now, that background is important because when you look at shifting Western industrialized societies and Western thinking from uh, a human-centered extractivist mode towards an earth-centered mode, you can't just do that through one discipline like law. So Ayla started looking at rights of nature stuff um, and a whole bunch of indigenous knowledge systems, which I could wax lyrical about. But the other core inspiration for our work is um, First Nations people's knowledge and governance systems and friendships um, in this place. But by focusing across governance, we then played a part. Um, I led the way in creating the New Economy Network Australia back in 2016 so that we could have a very direct civil society engagement with economic ideas. Inside AILA, we had um, an Indigenous Partnerships program that we called Future Dreaming. We actually set it up as a separate entity uh, so that our, um, you know, it's part of decolonizing our work so that our Indigenous elders and friends can lead the work, we support their work and our partners in them. And also through Future Dreaming, we've helped um, with the very, very early beginnings of Regenerative Songlines Australia, an amazing network of Indigenous elders. So... Today, these are the areas of my passion and my work. The journey that brought me to Ayla and to all this other stuff, um, and do you want me to start from the beginning and quickly map through? Yes, that I would can, be I excellent. Can do yeah? Okay, so Michelle Maloney is an oldie now. I still think of myself as a young'un. Um, I was born and raised in central Queensland, Australia, and I spent my formative years as a teenager out in a little country town in the middle of the bush called Barcaldon, out near Longreach, about seven or 800 kilometres west of the ocean. And I was always keen on learning. Key influences were my beautiful, earth-loving parents. Back in those days, out there, there wasn't such a thing as an environmentalist, but I had very unusual parents out in the middle of the edge of the outback because they, they loved trees, they cared about the environment, um, they were social justice people, etc. I then tootled off and studied at the Australian National University in Canberra, and I often like to joke that going from central western Queensland in the late 1980s when there was no internet, no connectivity, and then hitting Canberra was a very weird recipe for odd odd things, I think. So I, from an early age, as I said, loved the environment. And sorry, I meant to say my influences were my awesome parents and Uncle David, David Attenborough. As a little kid growing up um, at a time out west when we only had one TV channel, ABC, I lived for David Attenborough documentaries and I often say, and I've even written in a small piece about my ecocentric life, um, my brother used to get cranky at me because all he would hear on a Sunday Arvo when we watched a David Attenborough doco was, oh, it's so cute. I used to just sit there and be absolutely adoring of all the animals and the plants that I would watch. So I was always a little greenie. And going to uh, going through high school, what I was interested in was, I guess you'd call it today, international relations. But as a bush kid, I didn't know that. I was a humanitarian, uh, humanities sort of student. I loved the living world, but I had no interest in maths or um, what I thought were the mechanics of science. So, of course, if you've got no interest in maths and you can't work out the science, you end up doing an arts law degree, which is what I did. And it was always so that I could focus on environmental stuff. So my entire law degree was full of electives like environmental law, 
um, Law of the Sea, uh, lots of other sort of international law subjects, anything that was going actually. And then to speed up my story, because I do think my origins are kind of cute growing up in the middle of nowhere, but loving the bush and being inspired by my parents and David Attenborough. When I got to my degree, I was not the best student in the world. There were heaps more kids much smarter than me. I really floundered in my law degree. There were subjects that were a complete mystery to me. A lot of the commercially oriented subjects were really weird. As an art student, I did really well in the subjects that needed a lot of in-depth analysis and contemplation. So the law degree gave me a wonderful foundation for things I had no clue about, including how does an entire society work, you know, constitutional law, the role of federation. And I think I became a governance nerd long before I realised I had become one because I really enjoyed things like constitutional law um, and public law, how the world fits together, and how can we use those tools um, to care for the environment better. So flash forward, I then worked at the Federal Environment Protection Agency way back in the ancient times of 1991. Before I finished my degrees, I actually got sick of just being a student and started full-time work in the federal government. And I was very, very, very lucky as someone in their early 20s to be in a terrific team of people. We worked on a couple of proactive programs looking at um, solving environmental problems both in Australia and in Asia through a program that we worked on. And so I spent a couple of years at the federal government and then I spent a couple of years um, working in what is today I look back on as a remarkable achievement and I wish we'd continued it. The New South Wales government set up the Sustainable Energy Development Authority. In um, So I started there in 95 as one of the first, or was it 96? There was 20 of us. It was the first agency in Australia ever set up to look at climate change. And in those days there was no such thing as climate change adaptation. Our job was to focus on working with businesses and communities, developers, everyone, to reduce carbon emissions. So from the age of 25, I was working in a space with some of the best thinkers, I think, in the world, designing the most effective responses to climate change by reducing energy consumption in the non-transport sector. And it was an absolutely brilliant experience. Um, I was young. I think I contributed and helped in some ways, but I feel like I learned a lot more than I actually contributed. Um, from there, I was very restless, like many young Aussies, I think. Um, COVID has put the brakes on some of that, but I'm sure everyone can relate to that idea of really feeling at a personal level that you love Australia and you care about it, but maybe you're not meant to be here because, you know, your ancestors were from somewhere else. You look at Indigenous people and their ancient connection to place, and there's just this feeling of, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? You know, I want to belong here, but maybe I don't. So, of course, I went and did the usual stint a couple of years in London. Um, but by the time I finally got there, I think I was 27. So I'd worked in the federal government and the New South Wales agency, CEDA. So by the time I went over, I feel like I was lucky because I, I scored a really terrific job at the Energy Saving Trust in London and continued to work on climate change and other uh, really good work. Um, had a ball, had a great time and then spent some time working in the US. So these were little gigs I arranged myself through personal contacts. Took a while and some of it was hardcore to, to try to you know move countries all by yourself with just one backpack, but it was really cool. I had the energy in those days. So then I worked at um, a community-based 
sustainable energy um, NGO in California. And it was absolutely fascinating. But then I got the call. Um, my brother was connected with uh, an Aboriginal community in central Queensland. And really they, they kind of invited me back to help them with a bunch of stuff because native title was just kicking in in 1997. So that began what I like to think of um, a deeper decolonization of my brain. I'd grow, grown up as a, as a white kid in a country town. I had heaps of Indigenous friends. Life was the way it was, and it wasn't until I got to uni and then working with this community. Um, and I like to respect them by not talking about them. I, you know, the work is, and the friendships were very important to me. But I spent 10 years helping them with a whole bunch of things um, and learning so much from them, their culture, their ways of working, their ways of being, the hideous impacts of colonial Australia um, that are so fresh, so current, so everywhere today for all Indigenous people. Um, and I learned a lot about the horrors of native title processes, the, the impact of federal government and other government processes on community groups with very few um, financial resources having to respond to all this endlessness from mining companies and governments. And so that was really influential because I'd been doing sort of what I consider white middle-class environmentalism, then hanging with the mob and really learning what it's like to be on the ground, trying to protect country, watching them, their incredible commitment to place, to the ancestors, to the descendants. Um, yeah, anyway, um, I could talk about that for days. And... After I spent a long time with them, and I was still supplementing, I volunteered mostly, so I was supplementing my work with a lot of really cool community engagement and consulting work for, often for energy utilities, helping them set up community programs properly. Um, and then I wandered into a PhD because um, I was pregnant and about to be a mum, and I thought, I can't keep travelling and roaming the planet or the Australia. Um and then started a PhD, which really helped put me on track. So I'd come out of working on Indigenous, I guess you'd call it community development, but it was really Indigenous people fighting for their own rights and self-determination. And then um, through the PhD, I connected with a whole range of folks because I was really interested in looking at the problems that Western industrialised societies had created and how me as a white fella could play a part talking back to those problems because I'd spent 10 years supporting Indigenous people and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what colonial Australia has done to this continent and these people and ourselves through capitalism and modernity and every other bloody thing. Um, so the PhD really focused me into looking at the role of law and regulation in reducing unsustainable consumption and it opened up my eyes to a whole range of, well, economic ideology, I guess, and also, um, for the very first time, I came across Earth Jurisprudence and the work of Thomas Berry. And so that came together in my mind around this governance, this call to whitefellas, to industrialised peoples, to really rethink these underpinning structures. And that came on top of 10 years working with Indigenous people who've got this remarkable way of governing themselves and connecting to country and caring for place, etc., etc. So that began the journey of building AILA. And that was 10 years ago. And since then, you can pretty much track the way I think by looking at my profile and seeing the organisations I've been part of creating, the things I write about, the initiatives we try to have a go at. Um, yeah, and that brings us to today. So I'm sorry that was a very long answer to one question, but that was my 
my my higgledy piggledy journey to where I am today. No, that was a beautiful journey, and I feel like when you've had such a significant role as it seems you have had, I feel like it's hard to summarize it much more than that. <laughs> so I think you did an excellent job. And the Thank ideas you. you're talking about actually bring me very well to the next question, which is how have you personally managed to work within a system that doesn't align with your values? It's such a great question. Um, so I think there are probably two phases to that answer. Number one, when I was young and in my early 20s and I started working inside government, there were times when I thought there was something seriously wrong with me, seriously wrong with me because, you know, as I've already outlined, growing up as someone who loves the living world and I guess I had all these insights too into what I consider a truly egalitarian way of being, you know, where even in our little country town everyone was really solid, equal, there wasn't any hierarchy there wasn't anyone really dominating anyone in my age group you know when you look at the colonial history of the place it's different but I grew up with a real sense that anyone could do anything and that we were all equal and and the environment mattered and then I studied and learned and then when I got into government I could see how decisions were being made the kind of hierarchy and strange power structures of government you know and how federal government and state government work together I did a lot of work on the intergovernmental agreement on the environment which was back in 92 um, so there was a complete disconnect between me as Michelle Maloney the country kid who had a curious brain but a really open heart to the government where the way sometimes government agencies would treat community or treat others um, really didn't sit well and the other thing I found, I was never built for the nine-to-five life. I often used to joke that I'm a free-range chook, not a cage chook, and I'm not having a go at anyone who can do that sort of steady commuting, the steady hours. I just felt I, I was sort of dying on the inside. I couldn't do it. I survived doing it for years and years. Um, but one day, I guess it was just before I got the job in Sydney, I just I quit I quit my government job and took off traveling. I just couldn't stand it anymore. I just felt really boxed in by the weird, what some would call sort of industrial revolution style work ethic of just you know, every day getting up, getting dressed, putting on your pretend uniform, marching into work, coming home. So the value system of everyone that I worked with was actually pretty good because they were all caring about the environment. But the actual impact of the capitalist mode of going to work, the injustices I could still see, none of that sat very well with me. And that's why, really why I wandered off to be the roaming weirdo that I became. You know, I would literally pack up and change countries and, you know, stay in a job for three months and bugger off and spend two months volunteering somewhere, um, constantly thinking I was very odd, there was something wrong with me. People get surprised by that now because I work really hard and I love what I do, but there was a time when I thought I was really a bit of a waste of space. I figured I had all this brains and all this education and I couldn't really stick with anything because every time I'd started, it was never enough. It wasn't. It didn't feel deep enough. It didn't feel right. When I started working with my Aboriginal mates, that's when it really felt proper and better and, and I could handle a more various kind of way of working. You know, you'd go out onto country, you'd be out on trips, then you'd sit in the office. So the variety and the style of work was better. And I have to say the final thing I'll say is 
it wasn't until years later after I'd had my bub and I accidentally got a job in the Queensland government because, quite frankly, I needed the money. Um, that's when I really – i it's an interesting story because in my early 20s as a young'un, things bugged me, things felt a bit weird, things felt a bit wrong with some of the work I did, but I didn't – I could still continue and I could do it because I was young. But after, you know, almost 18 years of freedom, when I came back into the government space, I was horrified at the kinds of ways that Queensland government agencies made decisions, their complete lack of understanding of how communities are in fact the key knowledge holders for place, but the government folks often think they are the key knowledge holders and they certainly see themselves in what I would call nothing more than a colonial role. They think they're in charge. They think they're the boss. And so as a grown-up, I was probably a pretty miserable person to work with because I was very unhappy there. Um, and finally ditched it and wandered off again. And, you know, then I started building Ayla for reals, started doing it more full time. And yeah, so, so yeah, I, I, I can be, I can definitely relate to anyone who doesn't feel comfortable in the, the old fashioned nine to five kind of world, whether it's the mode of work or the content of the work. How do you survive? Two, two tips. Try to find other stuff that means something to you and get out of there. You know, if you're really listening to your body, and I have got a lot of folks working and connected to the Ayla work where they've, they've run away from the corporate world or the government world because they can't handle um, those styles of working or those ethics. So try to find a place you can feel truthful. But also if you can't and you have to keep working, then that's okay too. Um, sorry, you have to keep working in those places. One thing I'll urge people to do, and I often advise young'uns, is if you have to, comfortably and happily disconnect the notion of where you make your money and where you get your meaning. Um, I've had people volunteering for AILA for years where they'll spend three days a week te teaching English as a foreign language because they like teaching, but they're actually qualified physicists or scientists, and they devote two or three days a week to volunteer for things that they're passionate about and that which, quite honestly, people don't pay them to do at the moment. So that disconnecting your notion of where you get your income and where you find your meaning sometimes can really help people because so many of us look for the, the perfect job. But I have to say I never found it until I built my own organisation and gathered together my weird eclectic interests. And lo and behold, 10 years later, other people like it too, which is absolutely cool. Well, thank you for those <laughs> tips. I know I definitely will use them when I start my working career um well if you need to it can help you survive it certainly helped me the next yeah. tension is something that I definitely struggle with um and it's how you manage balancing pragmatism and idealism within your career yeah look it's a it's a tough one I think I think I don't mean to sound ageist, but certainly I can only speak from my own experience. When I was younger, it was much harder. I could see the problems in the world and my idealism dominated my thinking and my passion and I would the frustration I would feel and the sadness was so endless. It was like a bottomless pit of sadness. So two things happen, I think. You either burn out and reform or you start to... Build a life where you can do more and more. And I'm thinking about this carefully because I think I don't feel that I ever truly burnt out in terms of wanting to work hard, but you do get completely disillusioned. And other people burn out. And the burnout represents 
a combination of physical exhaustion from working too hard, but also a mental exhaustion that comes from a mismatch between what you hope you can achieve and what's really possible. So lots of people come at this different ways, but for me, the only way I could deal with this big gap between what you can do as one person and your ideal vision was to work really hard and to keep building the things I thought were important to me and useful to society. So probably my tips would be number one, particularly if you're young, maybe try very hard to understand that you are only one person. It is impossible for you to solve it all on your own. And the only way sometimes you can think about that is actually challenge ego. Most people don't, it's not genuinely an egotistical thing to think you can save the world. But anytime you need to remind yourself you can only do what one person can do, it is also comforting to realize it's egotistical to think you can save the world. It's impossible. One person cannot. But what you can do is structure a life or design the work that you do or work as hard as you can within healthy realms and every night go to bed thinking, I wish I could do more, but I think I've done all that I could. And that's about it. And as you get older, I find you go in one of two directions. You either kind of half give up and go and do other things. I've seen a lot of people float off and get proper jobs or whatever. Or you do start to find a better pace. And I, honestly, I think ever since I founded or co-founded Ayla, I haven't felt burnout in terms of, oh my God, I'm not doing everything I want to do. I never feel like I've done enough, but I feel like I've done something. So maybe for me personally, it was creating a space where I felt I could do everything with every minute I had, you know, um, but you're never immune. When you care and when you feel, you're never immune from feeling down. Um, I often say that during the 2019-2020 bushfires, when I, every day, I was, for the first time in my life, glued to the news, I, I couldn't cope. I would hide under the doona and then crawl back out again. And there was a moment when I knew so many animals were suffering, I actually thought, you know, Maybe I'm ready to sign off. Maybe I've had enough. Maybe I can't live in a world where three billion animals get killed in one summer. Um, that was one of the most devastating times for me personally. And people say, well, what do you do to keep going? Well, you rest and then you crawl back out and you keep going. So. Thank you for that. I definitely am going to listen back over to this and take notes <laughs> because... Well, I don't know. I mean, I can only tell you what I've done, eh? But, but there are there are tips. There's information out there. And if you know, if anyone's listening to this who cares so much, you feel absolutely distraught and devastated. Please feel optimistic. There are terrible things happening. But you've only got to go out in the garden and see the bees and the butterflies and and the flowers and that one bird. And that's worth fighting for. That's what you get up for every day. Is what we have left and what we want to restore. So. Yeah. The next thing I would like to discuss is how you have dealt with uh, yeah, accepting the amount of impact that you can have. And I think you've touched on it a bit, but mm. that's definitely something I feel a lot of people within the environmental space are driven by, that they want to feel that they're having a tangible impact. Yeah, it's so important. It's so important. Look, I guess, like you say, I've sort of touched on this, but really tips from Michelle Maloney would be, number one, you can only do what one person can do, you know, and 
my tips are find the things you love doing the most because you won't burn out as quickly or at all if you're doing things you love. Um, if you have to, like I said before, separate your not your notions of where you get an income from and where you find meaning. Do the things that are meaningful to you and try at every step to, sure, work hard, but don't kill yourself over it, um, says she who works six, seven days a week sometimes, you know, in and around life. But to have impact means to do the very best you can as one person to connect with other people who are awesome and feed off their wonderfulness and energy and know you're not alone. Good grief. There are hundreds of thousands of organizations around the world doing remarkable things. Um, and if we all do our little bit, you know, we are all going to contribute to the solution. So impact is a really hard thing. And also it's become very jargonistic in the last, what, 10 years? Everything's about impact investment and impact this and impact that. And as a 52-year-old who's watched trends come and go, I get a little bit cranky with all the all the corporate types buying into you know social impact investment. In terms of your impact, all you can do is, with an open heart, work as hard as you can in your own space of love. And I mean that. I'm a lawyer, but you know you got to love what you do, or you'll go crazy. And everybody's got something to offer, and join up with others. Joining up with others is the only way you will survive because you it's an ego thing to think you're the only one on the planet who gives a shit. You've got to you know, connect with others. You will feed off their ideas and inspiration and support and love. Um, you can despair together. You can have hope together. Um, I, you know, I haven't done what I've done on my own. A lot of the weird ideas have been bubbling up in my own head, but I don't know if I would have kept going if my little crew who's sort of started to surround me in the last five years in Ayla didn't turn up all equally passionate about, you know, the living world. So do the bloody best you can. And look, as young'uns, I say, if you're inclined towards intellectual learning and, and um, you know, your master's or whatever you're learning, go for it. Work as hard as you can because the more ideas you collect and the more creative you get, the more you can contribute unique solutions. And I think that really, really matters. But definitely find what you love and, and roll around in it and try to have a good time. Um, I know that the world is in a terrible place. I know that. But on a day-to-day -day basis, try to have some fun. You know, I laugh with my ALA mates as we work hard on, on sometimes bloody terrible-looking things. But as a human being, you just got to stay sane or you become not as useful, you know. Thank you for that. The last thing I would like to ask you about is how have you maintained motivation and hopefulness because obviously you have such a long career mm. within the environmental space <laughs> no. saying, saying you're <laughs> extremely expertise <laughs> oh that's adorable no um it's a good question and I know I've touched on it a bit but um let me think so in terms I'll start with the story of when I hit rock bottom when the bushfires happened and it was really bad for me. Like I was really thinking I didn't want to be alive anymore. It was that bad for me. And I've got a beautiful husband and daughter and mum and family, but I just thought I don't want to live in a world where all those animals are sad and hurt and dying. But the truth of it is there's so much left. There's so many good things. There's just so many good things. The living world is remarkable and we should not underestimate her capacity to keep going. So we should keep going. So hope 
I don't know, do I live with hope? Or do I live with a deep-rooted knowledge that life will always find a way to keep going? And me personally, when I hit those rough spots, I have learned probably only in the last 10 years to be kind to myself. And I can feel it when I get really, really tired and cranky. And you've got to take some time off, you know. Um, I have found COVID to be a gentle blessing in disguise because I often just hide literally uh, watching Netflix, you know, the old cliche of a bit of an old Netflix binge. But sometimes you just got to stay in bed for a couple of hours, you know, have a snooze and rest. But the thing that always gets me back up, honestly, it's the idea of the animals and the plants. It truly is. Definitely my daughter and future generations of humans, but mostly it's, oh, hang on, I better go and fill up the bird bath because um, the magpies need it. And I better go and water my flowers because I planted them all for the blue banded bees and the native bees that we've got a little hive in the garden. Um, so really and truly for some for someone who's as ecocentric as me, the thing that gets me out of bed every day is the joy of seeing the living world in whatever teeny weeny form in my garden or big glorious thing up in the sky with the flying foxes coming across. And the fact that I love what I do. You know, I think, well, the world might be going to hell in a handbasket, but I can do this thing and I can talk to this community and maybe I can share some info about earth laws and that might give this group just enough motivation to keep going and arguing about the next horrible planning process that's coming their way. So it's really the living world and the other awesome human beings. But everyone's different, got to find your own way. But in a nutshell, look after yourself as best as you can. But don't be mean to yourself when you're not looking after yourself very well because if you're a, a keen being looking after planet Earth, you don't tend to swan around and have day spas. You know, having a good sleep now and then and eating well is about the best I can do to look after myself and, uh, and know that you're not alone. There are millions of people, millions of people working on this stuff. Hang in there. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Everything that you said have been, has been incredibly reassuring for me personally. And I feel <laughs> very so inspired glad. and maybe slightly more content after this conversation. Well, my job is done today. If I've helped one person, keep going. <laughs> thank you for sharing all your wisdom. Have a lovely day. Thank you so much for having me on.